0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at probably the most familiar passage in all the Bible, the 23rd Psalm this morning. title of my message is, The Unchanging God in a Changing World. We're going to talk about that together this morning. Let's look at the Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You could ask this morning, should I believe in what my father and my grandfather believed? Well, the answer to that is yes. If they understood God's revelation correctly, then you should believe just as they did. All the changes in modern society and everything is changing. It's just, would you believe that Sears is going out of business? I mean, I grew up at Sears. You know, can you believe that all of these things that we've held so true and near, uh, they're kind of passing off of the uh, scene? Well, those things do not affect eternal truth. Eternal truth is still true, no matter what happens. But you say, well, that's old-fashioned. Yes, but so is the sun, and it warms our earth. So is water, but it quenches our thirst. So is soil, but it produces our food. One of the glories of the church, I believe, is the fact that it does not change too quickly or too much. There's something stabilizing about coming to church and sitting down and singing Amazing Grace. Something wonderful about sitting down and singing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The same kind of hymns that my grandfather and great-grandfather sang. If God does not change, then ethical precepts do not change. There's no area of our life where change is more drastic and more disturbing than with our morals. In our kind of world, people often believe both in women's rights and in animal rights. They may support the right to abort a baby for personal convenience, but they oppose the right to destroy a rabbit for cancer research. In our kind of world, it's not unusual to be invited to a seminar on alcohol and drug abuse, only to have the seminar preceded by the cocktail hour. The results of our hypocrisy have been devastating. In 60 years, our movies have gone from silent to unspeakable. (laughs) There is so much nudity in films these days, the next year's Oscar for costume design ought to go to a dermatologist. (laughs) Verse 2 says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. That speaks of a steady, and I mean steady, guidance that the Lord has been giving. He gave it since Adam and Eve. He's still giving it today to those that will respond and listen and change the modality of their life if they need to. It doesn't change every 10 years. No matter what else changes, it just doesn't matter. God's truth remains the same. God is the same in every decade. Fifty percent of our marriages now end in divorce. Odds are when a couple walk down the aisle together to be married, their marriage will last less than seven years on average. One of them will... Leave before the warranty on their washer and dryer goes out. (laughs) Forty-two percent of our young people say they are active sexually. I imagine many of those are lying. It's probably much more. One out of every four households in the United States will have a major theft or some kind of violent act around them this year. One out of five women of childbearing age will have an abortion. During abuse, suicide, venereal disease, these and other problems are the major things that confront every one of us. So serious is the problem that schools and governments are talking about putting back in a class on values, human values. You know, they took that out. And, of course, uh, many of our values went out as well. Now they're talking about putting that back in because of all the terrible things that are going on. Verse 3 says, He restoreth my soul. It's speaking of the healing only the unchanging God can do. The unchanging God. We're talking about the unchanging God in a changing world. The church must accept part of the responsibility for the moral meltdown of our society. Our fear of being labeled as old fashioned or prudes or holier than thou. We have developed a cavalier attitude about sin. One well-known television preacher put it this way, I never use the word sin in my sermons. It's negative, and there's already too much negative stuff in the world, so I just never talk about that. Verse 2 says, he leadeth me beside the still water. He restoreth my soul. This speaks of a spiritual healing, a deep healing within our heart and mind and soul that only this unchanging God can do. Those who oppose the truth desire a church that will not interfere. There is nothing, writes William Barclay, that the world would like so much As a silent church. Yesterday I was so proud of our choir, Brother Jim, uh, that sang at the veterans event. There were a lot of people there and I was glad that we were there, that we were able to give a witness for our Lord. I think that's wonderful. I think next year what we ought to do is get a hundred more people in the choir that day. From our church. I know robes would be expensive, but uh, maybe we can do it. And then when we came out on the stage, the people that were there would say, Goodness, what is going on at Trinity Baptist Church? There's 100 people in the choir. The next Sunday, they'd come and visit. Let me tell you of something I did years and years ago. It's about 35 years ago. I was a single adult minister at a church in Dallas, and we had 900 singles. And it was just unbelievable. They uh, heard about it, of course, all over the state, and and, uh, somebody decided at the annual single adult conference for Texas that they would invite our choir. They heard that we had a single adult choir to come and to sing. And they asked me if we would do that, and I said, yes, we'll do it. Well, I got to thinking about that. And I thought, there's going to be two or 3,000 singles at that event. So I told uh, everybody in our singles group, I said, uh, why don't we have about 900 people in our choir? <laughs> I said, they'll never forget that. So I challenged them for a month. I said, you know, I want you to sing in the choir on that day. And uh, we had the guys wear white shirts and blue pants, and the gals uh, wear something uh, blue. And so 900, of course, didn't show up. About 400 did. And I told them exactly what to do. I said, you see that side door over there? Get outside of that door. All of you get outside and come in single file." And go row by row by row by row. And don't walk quickly. (laughs) Well, they came in just that way. And every single adult that was in that room was thinking about moving to Dallas. (laughs) That very night. They just couldn't uh, believe it. Well, you know, we've got to do something that speaks to our world. There's a lot of people out there to lead to Jesus. There's a lot of people out there that need to know the 23rd Psalm and the promises that it makes for those that will follow the Lord. We need to not just do our work within these walls. We need to do the major part of our work outside of these walls as we touch and reach those that have a desperate need for a Savior. Where do we find a basis today for our morality? ultimately, right and wrong, must be rooted in God. That's the criteria, not in public opinion. You know, if you go by public opinion, you'll you'll do the wrong thing. If you go by popular vote, you have a 50-50 chance of doing the wrong thing. If you go by a Gallup poll, you know, five years later, you might uh, say, boy, we did the wrong thing after that poll. If we are to find our way out of our moral maze, we must return to God, not only as a neighborhood, but as a country, as a world. We need to turn to God. Right is right because God said so. Wrong is wrong because God said so. And God never changes. If he never changes... Then, right is right, and wrong is wrong. If a thing was right yesterday, it's right today, and it will be right tomorrow. If a thing was wrong yesterday, it's wrong today, and it will be wrong for a thousand years if the planet lasts that long. If a hundred people say a foolish thing is good, it's still foolish. Numbers have nothing to do with it. It's all related to God. And these time-tested laws are how life works for the best. The Bible is our manufactured operations manual. It's a manual for us, for people that don't know anything about God. It's a manual for them. It's a manual for the most mature Christian in this room today. It's a manual that we need to read. I hate to read manuals. Whenever I get something in the mail, I try for a while to fix it, and I can't. And usually then Cindy comes and fixes it. (laughs) I hate manuals. I hate directions. I don't want to do that. But most of the time, I can't do whatever it is unless uh, you do the directions. You know, we can't live the kind of life that God wants us to live if we don't go by the manual. That's it. That's the manual. If we follow it, we will find life at its best. Verse 4 says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The Bible is our rod and staff. We don't have a rod and staff anymore. It used to be the shepherds, when they had rods and staff, they would take the staff and kind of whack the sheep if it got out of line or if it started wandering off. The shepherd would use it to kind of get all the sheep back in line. Well, what is it that gets us in line? It's the word of God. That's all there is. It sure isn't going to be TV. Don't you think it's interesting what's happening in Hollywood? All of these people that have been so derogatory about Christians and guns and all that, incidentally, they all have bodyguards with guns. (laughs) just thought you'd want to know that. Uh, You know, they're, they're so down on God. So down on on people that stand up for Christ, stand up for the cross, stand up for the flag. They're down on that. Well, you know what's happening now is a lot of things that they did years ago are coming to the forefront. And it's happening over and over and over again. Stuff that they did 40, 50 years ago. That they did 10 years ago, 5 years ago. I did a lot of things wrong when I was younger, and you did too. And you know what? The blessing that we have is that we know what to do with our sin. We present it to Christ, and he forgives us. And then we move on. You know, these uh, folks in Hollywood, they're, they're having a terrible time. They're going to lose a bunch of money. Boy, well, that's where they, uh, ask where they listen It's when it starts uh, hurting their money. You know, these pro football players that are down on their knee, when they cut their salaries in half, they're going to be standing up. (laughs) I guarantee you. I guarantee you that is going to happen. Because God does not change, personal accountability does not change. The attempt to evade personal responsibility for our actions is not new. Since Adam was caught red-handed with the fruit in his hand, People have tried to blame somebody else for whatever's wrong in their life. Adam said, this woman gave me the apple. It's her fault. She gave it to me. She told me to eat it, and I ate it. When Eve was confronted, she said, it was the serpent that beguiled me. It was the snake. The snake did it. It wasn't me. Our age has evaded personal responsibility to new heights, or perhaps I should say to new depths. We now have no-fault divorce. We now have no-fault insurance. A lot of folks would like to have no-fault sin. We would like to blame everything on our heredity, our environment, our parents, our schools. You know, we want to say it's their fault, not my fault, it's their fault. There is sin that cannot be blamed on genetics or environments or parent or school or society or being poor or even being rich. We can only take responsibility for it ourselves. The Bible states succinctly, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6.7 If God does not change personal Accountability does not change. Verse 5 said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. What does that mean? It means that God gives us the provisions that we need. Years ago, I took a trip that kind of went by South America, and there were literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that lived in boxes. Boxes. Big boxes. Some of them lived under trees. Some of them lived uh, in a little cave that they had dug out. You know, when I got back home, I was real glad I had soap and a towel and a shower. I was real glad that I had air conditioning and TV and radio and a sweet little dog that uh, lived with us. And that nobody was trying to eat. You know, we, we have so many blessings, we just, you know, we just can't comprehend it. This uh, verse 5 means that the Lord gives us the provisions that we need. Not everything that we want, but everything that we need. If God does not change, our ultimate hope does not change. Our hope is not in education or science, or politics. Our only hope, eternally, is the Lord. Thou anointest my head with oil. Our hope, our comfort, is from the Lord. When Lyndon Johnson was president, he said, At the desk where I sit, this is a quote, At the desk where I sit, I've seen the answer to all of our problems. Actually, all of the problems all over the world. And it comes down to one word. And that word is education. Was Lyndon Johnson right? At the turn of the century, people were saying, let's open the schools. Let's uh, close the jails. Well, we did open the schools. But we haven't closed the jails. We have more people in jail today than we've ever had in the history of Mankind. In many schools today, the primary concern of the administration is not education. It's security. Every high school, I think, I don't know this, don't quote me, has uh, metal detectors and armed guards. They have those. Why do they have them? Because if they don't, there'll be riots and people get killed. In the 1950s, the major discipline problem in our schools was smoking, skipping school, running in the halls, and spitballs. Those were the major bad things. Today, according to a recent survey, the major problem is deadly weapons. Kids carrying guns, knives, and even assault weapons. This is followed by arson, drugs, vandalism, and drunkenness. Our hope is not in science. Science has made the world a neighborhood, but it hasn't made it a brotherhood. Our hope is not in politics. Charles Colson said, because a politician quotes scripture, don't believe the kingdom of God is going to arrive on Air Force One. And he was right. Well, what then is our hope? We give our hearts to the Lord Jesus. That's what Scripture said. Trust in Christ. That's foundational to whatever else you're going to do in life. Give your heart, your life, your destiny to Jesus. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life if I do that. Verse 6. The pastor said in his early ministry he had a layman in his church and the two of them would go out and do revivals every once in a while. They would go out and the preacher would preach and this layman in his church would lead the music and they would do evangelism around in some of the rural, small churches in that area. Well, his friend began to have throat problems and he checked into a hospital for some tests And he found out he had throat cancer, looked real bad. The man's wife called the pastor to the hospital, and when the pastor arrived, she told him the diagnosis and said, my husband doesn't know it, and I need you to help me tell him. When they walked into the hospital room, the layman said to his wife, "Darling, why don't you go get three Cokes and bring them back, and we can... Uh, drink those as we talk, and so she left to go get the Cokes. While she was gone, the man said, uh, Preacher, I know I've got cancer, and I know it's bad, and she doesn't know how to tell me, but it's okay. All these years of my life, I've been telling people that Jesus is enough. Now he's going to give me a chance to prove that. Sometime later, just before he died, the layman called. When the pastor got there, he said, Pastor, wherever you go, as long as you live, as long as you're preaching, you can tell the people that Jesus is true to his word, that Jesus, Jesus alone is enough. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. That's the promise that we get in verse 6. What does this mean to you and to me? It means there can be a stability to our lives in this changing world. We can trust Christ as a little child when you're 10 years old, when you're 15 years old, when you're 18 years old, and you can know that he is walking with you, And he literally will hold your hand as you walk all through life. As we grow to the teenage years and struggle with moving into adulthood and times are hard and decisions are big, we can know that he is constant and abiding. He's right there with us. And when we become adults with family responsibilities, God will still be with us, right at our side. Then when we move toward the sunset years of life, God will still be there. And when we walk through the waters of the river of death, we will be able to say with David, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, my soul. These are some things that you can count on. You know, we can't count on a lot of things. We can't count on some people. We can't count on everything to go just right. But there are some things that will never, ever change. And the most important one of those is our Lord. If you're here in the house today and you've never trusted, believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to invite you to do that. If you're here in the house today, you need a church home, you've been visiting around, the doors of our church are wide open, we want you to come in. We want to be a brother and a sister in the faith to you. We want you to become a part of our family. We want to love you. We want you to love us. We want to walk together through this life. We want to do the best we can to serve our Savior. If there's a decision that you'd like to make today, I'm going to stand right down here at the front. We're going to sing a hymn. You just slip out, slip forward, and say whatever you'd like to do. Trust in Christ. Join the church. Rededicate your life, however it would go. However the Spirit of God would lead you this morning, I pray that you would come. Must stand and sing.